This is the command performance Christmas for my children. Once every two years, you show up or you're out of the will. And um, so they are all coming. They start arriving tonight, and they'll be coming up till Christmas Eve, maybe even Christmas morning. Um, And as they come, it it has been amazing because raising them was uh, difficult in terms of the niggling and the arguing and all this going on. But they really like each other now. And through a series of both bribes and threats, they come together, and we spend three or four days. Now, they have other friends that they'll be seeing, but we spend three or four days together, and my expectation is I can I can serve the driest turkey in the world, because I cook it, or I can burn the roast beef. But when they get along and you see them loving on each other, I can't help, along with my wife, but to smile and Give her a pat on the back and say, well done. Now, if they don't do that, well, that's another story. You know, sometimes the hopes and the dreams that we have for Christmas time are described very artistically, even in the commercial world. Let me, I'm going to show you two short videos here with a little introduction to each. But the first, if you haven't seen it yet, Apple hired Stevie Wonders, uh, Stevie Wonders, Stevie Wonder, and others to portray his family. They are not his family. We did research. Probably none of them are really his true family. But they they are trying to just express a Christmas dream for our world. Let's have the lights come down and uh, show that first video, please. Doesn't that just give you lots of warm, pink fuzzies to, to be thinking about? I mean, isn't that just a, a beautiful commercial that helps you anticipate and maybe have expectations of this beautifully decorated house and these kids all getting along? And, man, it's just great. Well, not to be outdone, Microsoft did their own. <laughs> maybe you've seen that, too. And this one is about, uh, uh, what is it called, a, a flash mob? Uh, walking out of the, um, uh, uh, they're on 6th Avenue in New York City, uh, walking out of the Microsoft store, walking down uh, 6th or Park Avenue, whichever it is, to the Apple store and doing a serenade. <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, let's show that one, okay? And there they are, Microsoft and Apple hugging each other. Now, you'd like to say that is completely spontaneous. Uh, 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 Nothing Hollywood does is spontaneous. It was really uh, pushed, and the um, uh, there were no volunteers. They were all paid, and the children's choir was not uh, was also a professional choir that they put together to do this. But there's a common message that the media is trying to present here, and it's a common message that I think is based on a a misinterpretation of of a Christmas verse. In other words, in that Christmas verse, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And uh, uh, the way we have interpreted it is, Glory to God in the... I mean, the way that you might have read it growing up, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men. Well, that makes you think that God is working towards a world peace. And one of the great secular dreams of our world is that there can be world peace by humanity just getting along. The, the uh, hymn that the children's choir was singing there was one written in 1955. It was written uh, after, uh, for, to, um, 
uh, for a children's or a, a youth group to sing at a retreat uh, in the San Bernardino Mountains of California. And so it was in 1955, we'd just come through World War II, we'd just come through the Korean War, and we were already involved in Vietnam. Okay? We were already involved in a very small way there. And so they sing this, let there be peace on earth, and the idea with God as our father, meaning only one God, and everybody being my brother, certainly there can be peace on earth. Later, that same theme was picked up by um, uh, John Lennon of the Beatles, and uh, he wrote a song called Imagine. And in the second verse, Imagine carries that same theme. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. And the world will be as one. Ooh. Isn't that just lovely? Let me read the next one. Uh, imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Ooh, 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 ooh. You may say I'm a dreamer. And yes, he was. When you look at his life, Uh, He came from poverty or or, uh, working class uh, to great wealth living in New York City. Now, how can you ever have a dream of the brotherhood of man living in New York City? I've been there. It doesn't happen. Hey, you're in my spot here. It's one of the most aggressive cities I've ever been in. In fact, if you were to look at this, this dream of world peace and the brotherhood of man, in Western civilization, we have only recorded... 50 years of world peace and over 10,000 years of history. And we didn't include Asia because we didn't, or, or Latin America because we didn't pick up on those. We really don't know their histories. What are the chances of world peace through the brotherhood of man? History tells us very small. It takes a huge, unsubstantiated faith in the human race to believe it. How is your faith in the human race? Pretty high? Pretty low? That's why we are exploring the names and the titles of Jesus from the Bible that point to him as God's son and the only way to true peace. But it happens in a far different way than what uh, John Lennon and all the others seem to be hoping for. See, in all of those, literally they're leaving God or especially Jesus out because Jesus is polarizing, you see. Uh, Jesus only causes division. We're not even allowed to mention the name of Jesus, and pretty soon not even Christmas, even in our own culture. It has to be done privately. So as we're going through these names, you can catch up on each of them on our website, Uh, but the big point is that with Jesus, titles and names mean something. When he's given a title, it has some great meaning behind it. So this morning I'm getting on one of the more obscure ones. Another title for Jesus is the bright and morning star. Now by star, it means a heavenly light in the night. By morning, that means when it is seen and seen best. And by bright means if you're looking, you can't miss it. If you see anything in the star in the sky besides the moon, you will see that star. Now the star as we know it is the planet Venus. 
which is the next uh, next planet next or the next pl- the planet next to us on the way to the sun. So if you're traveling, if you got a cruise to the sun, you'll go by Venus. Now the thing about Venus is it's close, it's hot, but if you wake up early in the morning, you cannot miss it. Nothing but the moon is bigger and brighter. And that's one of the things God wants us to know. Creation displays who he is. Creation has meaning behind it. And the names that we take from his creation and the heavenly bodies, there's something that he's trying to communicate to us through that. In Romans chapter 1, this you won't have this on the board, but it says this. As God announces uh, his creation, he does it through his creation. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made, so that men are without excuse. In other words, the expansion of the heavens makes us feel very small. As we have uh, uh, increased our knowledge of what creation is like, we understand it is massive. It is complex. It is perfectly balanced. How does that happen? And God says, I'm the answer. So the heavens display that he exists, but secondly, it displays he's awesome. He's great. But he also chooses the heavens to display the greatness of his son. So we understand that at the birth of Jesus, there's this heavenly announcement. And these magi see what's going on. And they're among the only ones, perhaps the only ones. But they are the ones who follow through. It says in Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked... And again, they're asking King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they start out in the east and they come to Jerusalem and they're asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? There's a problem here. They ask the current king. Not a good idea. They ask the current king and that king is saying, what, there's another king in my country? Why don't you just tell me where he is so I can go and worship him too? <laughs> now, you know, they're magi. They're not idiots. So I think they see right through it. But more than that, imagine you're in that place where you go to the king and you say, show us the king. And he goes, what am I, Chop liver? The word I think that's used today is awkward. <laughs> but more than that, it's quite threatening quite threatening to King Herod. But King Herod gathers together all of, all of his uh, Old Testament scholars, you might say, and, and they get together and they say, well, the Messiah will be born in a certain place. It's about five miles from here in the city of David, Bethlehem. It's really a town. So after they had heard the king, they went on their way in verses 9 and 10, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, Herod is making an attempt to deceive them and requesting of them to make a return visit so he can find out who this child is, and he will go and, and, um, and worship him too. 
But to get to Jerusalem, these magi had to discover a star, and nobody else seems to know that it existed. Secondly, they had to look up an old prophecy that aligns with a star, and they go to the source of that prophecy, where that prophecy or what that prophecy was written about, back to Israel. So the account speaks of a star staying in front of them as a guide all the way to Jerusalem and then eventually to Bethlehem where they find the child. You see, it's the two are coming together. The prophecy and the star that only the Magi have been... I have no idea how that happened. Uh, of all the, you know, the libraries that they searched out, of all of the prophecies that they were wondering, what does this star mean? I don't know if God went zip like that and, and, and suddenly that, that one prophecy uh, fell right at their feet. But we know they found it. And I'll tell you what that prophecy is in just a minute. Uh, scientists and, and, and astronomers have been trying to work at this to put together how does something like this happen. And, and, and the best current conclusion is that it was a very large comet, not Halley's, but a very large comet passing close to the Earth that is also reported in other secular histories. Passing close to the Earth and as moving from east to west, but moving from east to west faster than the stars appear to be moving with the rotation of the Earth. So they could be following that star, watching it go faster than the rest of the night uh, every, every night that they were traveling. They knew they could stay on the right path. Now, um, that's the current science. And I have at the back, if you are are one of those who is very science-minded, a a two-page article from a book that goes through this research. I, I clipped it out of Christianity Today. It's called the Christ Comet, and, and it's in a manila folder there if you want to take it and read it and maybe go buy the book. Because we want to stay current with science. But th- those are the facts. How about the emotion? Do you see what they express when they finally get to Bethlehem and see the baby? It says, when they saw the star stopping over Bethlehem, they were overjoyed. They couldn't hold it in. Well, what's going on here? All that study, all that research, all those years, uh, all of our uh, expenses, all of this travel going on, all of these high expectations that we had, it works. We haven't done this in vain. I'm going to put it another way. This may be the best moment of our entire lives. We might have been born just for this. And apparently nobody else was. So they go to the house. And that's pretty important. Uh, they go to the house and, and, and but even then, when they go to the house, it's a common house, and they have to say, you know, all of this has worked together so that we understand there, there's something going on here far beyond our understanding and, and far beyond our control. So they, they get there, and they go to the house, and Jesus is still just another little baby 
probably in a house, not in a, you know, in a manger. But, you know, they're settled now, maybe a couple months. Some would say even longer. But they're settled. And, and so the baby's just another baby, and the house is just another house. It's not a palace. The surroundings would make the Magi feel like fools. The heavens would make them feel like God-directed wise men. That's the difference. God-directed and God-rewarded wise men. Have you ever noticed that sometimes some very common things turn out to be quite special in your life and you just didn't know it? We had a dog we hated. Her name was Twix. We moved here when Twix was 18 months. Um, She was a runt of a dog and the coyotes were salivating every time they walked through our yard. And we had to work very hard at protecting that little puppy. But that little puppy could get out and get anywhere in the neighborhood and then come wandering back. We met our neighbors through that puppy. A very common little puppy. They said, would you please clean up after your common little puppy? Your puppy did his num- her number on my deck. I said, oh, I'd be glad to do that. My name's Jim. <laughs> and I've been talking to those neighbors ever since. They never came to me. My puppy went to them. Common things sometimes have big effects and turn out to be quite special. Well, so they came to the house. They see Mary. They, it says that they bow down and, and they worshiped him by, through their bowing. But in addition to that, they offer their valuable gifts. And then they leave another way, following not a comet this time uh, or not another prophecy, but the voice of God that speaks to them in a dream. So they see a star, they read a prophecy, and they get it, you know, they get that prophecy themselves. God speaking directly to them. That is how God announces through his creation that his son is born. Just like he announces that he exists through his creation. But in the midst of that, God also foretells through his creation. In other words, he speaks to the future and what is about to happen. What is that prophecy? that the Magi connect with the comet? It is from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 that was read this morning. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and all the sons of Sheth. Well, what is it getting at? Because it's not just what the prophecy does, but it's how they find it. The promise of God comes from Numbers, as I mentioned. And and these... uh, Uh, these wise men came at least from Babylon, Iraq, or or, or maybe uh, uh, the Persian Empire, Iran, which would be even further for them. How did they find that prophecy? Well, 700 years before Christ was, was born, Israel was thrown into exile. And with them, they took the books of the law and the Jews who went to Babylon and eventually to Persia And when they got there, uh, their prophecies were read by all the learned scholars because they were true scientists. They were just trying to absorb all knowledge that they could. So we know that the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that they were there with the Jews in Babylon and also in Persia. Now, um, and they read that a star or a great leader would come out of Jacob, 
a great person, a great leader, and that the scepter means this person would be a king. So that is who they're looking for, this king. And he would destroy all their enemies, so he's worthy. Now, who speaks this prophecy? The person who speaks this prophecy is a false prophet named Balaam. But this time he got it right. He is not a believer. In fact, he is paid, and, and this is 1,400 years before the birth of Christ when this, when this happens. He is paid by an enemy king. And the enemy king says, I am paying you to go up on a mountain and curse the entire Israelite nation that's camped here on the Jordan. So here's the money. Give me the curse. Five times this guy goes up to a mountain. And each time he tries to speak a curse, and God won't let him, and he speaks a blessing. And the king goes, oh, evade. How can you do this to me? Give me my money back. Uh-uh. On the fourth one, this is when uh, this prophecy is spoken, and it is so deep and so intense that Balaam, the false prophet, says, now, I'm telling you, this is what God has told me, the God Almighty. I'm not making this up. It is very important you hear this. So the prophecy points to the Jews defeating the Canaanites when they invade the promised land. It also points later to the rise of David as the great king. But it is completely fulfilled, completely fulfilled with the coming of Christ Jesus. Who will be the Messiah? So the Magi are skilled enough to see the comet in the sky. They retrieve the prophecy from ancient times and they put them together to come to Bethlehem. And you got to admit, putting all those things together is a near miracle in itself. But God's desire is that those who are far from God would be amazed at his work and turn to him. I want to say this. I think the only people equipped in the world at that time to put those two together was the, were those we don't know how many they were. Probably not three, maybe just one. We don't know. Doesn't give the number. But the only ones equipped to do this were these wise men. We know of nobody else in the world at that time who would have done it. Is God greater wonder? You know, isn't that amazing? Now the prophecy is looking forward. Because when Jesus comes, not only has he come as a child and to become a great leader of his nation, but he's coming back. And so God uses his creation to tell the scientists who study his creation, but he uses this title that I'm about to get to. So it'll point from all of creation to the greatness of his son, Jesus. In the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Jesus is speaking through John to the churches who are in Turkey. And these churches are going through a very tough time. And Jesus, as he speaks to them, warns them. But he also encourages them and gives them a name from his father's creation. Essentially, he's saying, Jesus is saying, I am Venus. I am the bright and morning star. When people wake up, if it's still dark, and they look out and they look in the western sky, they know that the next thing to happen, if they see Venus, the next big event of the day will be the sun rising. There will be a sunrise if you see Venus. 
Now, on Sunday mornings, not every morning, but on Sunday mornings, I'm here quite early. And Venus and I sometimes talk to one another, okay? I'm quite early. And, and when Venus sets over Bergen Peak, you don't want to miss that. Can I call you? About 4.30, 5. Can I give you a call? Hey, come see this. It's beautiful. It is the bright and morning star, the last heavenly body you see. And after that, dawn begins to creep in. The presence of the morning star means certain daylight. Certain daylight is coming soon. The morning star is the assurance that the darkness of night is over. That that is the objective meaning. That is what we know in science. But when Jesus speaks that I am the bright and morning star, he's giving a personal reason. Something for the soul, for the church to absorb. You see, the churches of this region of Turkey had gone through a series of hard times. As Christians, they were under suspicion, even persecution by governments and the other religions in the area. They endure it, but it appears that after, you know, 30, 40 years of existence, they begin to lose heart and go back to what we might call normal living, living, just like they were before they met Jesus Christ. They haven't lost their faith. They've lost their joy. There's a difference. They haven't stopped believing that Jesus is God. They just stopped living it. There was nothing that different about them anymore. Oh, they still worshipped on Sundays, but there was nothing. In, there was less and less, you might say, in their day-to-day life that would, that would help them Uh, display to the rest of the cities that they lived in that Jesus was Lord. And here is what Jesus is trying to say to them. He's saying, I am the bright and morning star, just as you know the facts of the sky, know this fact. I'm coming, and I'm coming soon. Take heart, I'm coming. I will return. More than that, He says, I am the star, and when I come, I am called the son of righteousness, and all darkness will be dispelled on your world. So let me ask you a couple questions that try to make you feel more like you're in tune with the bright morning star. Many of you have been with us through the entire building process. We we thank you. Your service has been wonderful. And, and as you were in, in the building process, you know, you, you gained a vision for this new facility and it was very easy to buy into. And you, like me, would drive by daily, probably me more often than you, but drive by daily and would look at the progress and would listen to the financial reports and the construction reports. And every time we realize there's progress, it, it will, it'll be happening soon. Now we've been in this new facility about nine months. Can you believe that? Nine months. My office isn't big enough. (laughs) There's a lot of things that aren't working the way they should. How about you? Oh, the snow. You know, we're not able to get all the snow up. We're starting to find the little faults in the facility that we couldn't foresee. And we're putting our focus on them. Nine months later, it is very natural to feel less energetic, 
less tied to this facility, less excited and more critical now that the challenging season is over. When human excitement over a new facility decreases, are you looking at the bright and morning star to motivate you? You should have been all the time. But when human excitement decreases, do you find your joy decreasing? Then it's time to realign it with the bright and morning star who says he's coming back. That's for some of us. I moved here in 1997. Here's a second question. And one month later, after I was in my old office, and by the way, my new one is much better than the old, okay, we had Columbine. And since being in Colorado, I turn on, you know, uh, the radio for news, and it just seems like it's one bad thing after another. Um, 9-11 was my day off, and I was watching the Today Show, and my kids were, had not yet gone to school. And we just grabbed them and said, school's off. You're here today. And we watched it came, come down, both buildings. My daughter said, I was in the hotel three months ago. Three months ago, I stayed overnight in that hotel between the two buildings. Daddy, it's gone. Can we add to that? In these last 15 or so years, we are aware that there's people in the world that want to destroy our whole way of life. They want to kill us for our faith if we do not convert. In the last 15 years, we've experienced a financial crisis, a political polarization as probably we've never seen before, and more shootings than ever before. So the question is, does it seem today like you are less secure or more secure than you were before? In the things that matter in life, are you less or more secure? Let me take that security to the next level. As these events happen, I've sat down with young mothers and just heard them talk to me. And not all the time, but often, this question comes up. Ask me, mothers, if you've ever felt this. Is this the time to be bringing babies into the world? Should I even be having children with maybe the appearance that it's all going to be over and I could not handle the death of one of my children through violence? San Bernardino, Newtown, Charleston. They all have different meanings to us now. Do we want to bring children into a world like this? Violence seems to be increasing, and I'm not sure it's right to have children. When Jesus says, I'm the bright and morning star, he is saying, I am the name of certain hope. He means that darkness and the evil of this world will one day be gone. Dawn is coming. Jesus is returning. Count on a new day. One that John Lennon could never imagine. 
That day is the eternity that Jesus brings with him when all will be well. Instead of a brotherhood of man, there will be the kingdom of God in which all in that kingdom will be totally perfected as God has always planned. That's the bright and morning star. That is how God has foretold for us what we can expect. And so with the bright and morning star, you know, being our certain hope, and you're asking, is it a good time to raise children? There's never been a better time. More than that, I, 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 I guess I want to say, fill them with the hope that you have as you read what Jesus, uh, the title that Jesus gives to himself. I am coming back. This world will be renewed. And when it's renewed, your children will be dancing and prancing as if there's never been any trouble in the world. I want to say this. Have babies. Oh, I guess that command is already being done in this church at least. (laughs) Have babies. More than that, teach them about Jesus. If they say to you, I'm thinking of going into the ministry, go, yeah, hurry up, hurry up. Because you're getting involved in the bright and morning star. Now let me trivialize it just a bit. Knowing that it's going to be perfected, how do we approach Christmas now? And let me take you to the headlines, unfortunately the Hollywood headlines. Anyone heard of this little independent film called Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens? (laughs) It began with an announcement that they were going to do the next three. It began with a release date. Then, many months ago, there was a picture of actors sitting around a living room, the actors, and we'd go, there's Han Solo. And he was going to be in the next one. There's Princess Leia. She's going to be in the next one too. Are they still alive? No. Um, (laughs) And then that was followed by trailers. And after the trailers, you know, one-minute trailer and another-minute trailer and another-minute trailer, after the trailers came the merchandise. Man, have you got your lightsaber yet, your T-shirts, your, your at-ats, you know, all these other things? I remember my son every Christmas saying, Dad, I need this, and it was all Star Wars for three or four Christmases. He was easy. I knew exactly what he wanted. The trailer for God's kingdom. Like the trailer for Star Wars. The trailer for God's kingdom is Christ's arrival. In this brief little moment, he is telling you the bright and morning star, the completion of my plan will not be thwarted. The baby in a manger, as humble as he is, is the grand announcement from the heavens that God is right on target and right on time and will complete his plan as he's always described for us. And you, you're the merchandise. I'm sorry, you probably wanted to think you're a bigger role. But no one displays better the movie than those who walk day by day wearing the T-shirts living the life, sharing the faith, being in, you might say, in the whole spirit of what God is doing in the world. 
You know that um, the end of um, A Christmas Carol, it says nobody celebrated Christmas better than Ebenezer Scrooge. Mainly for his generosity, but also for the fact he finally got joy in life. You're the merchandise. How you celebrate Christmas displays to everyone around you the bright and morning star. And I want you to know, throughout the ages, not everybody has been encouraged by Jesus. Let me read another poem for you. This was done by William Wordsworth Longfellow. I had to read his poem. I did not like him as a poet. He was this very sing-song. But there's a Christmas carol written after one of his poems. You might remember it when I say this. And by the way, the best version is Johnny Cash. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to man. In the third verse, it goes, And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He wrote that during the Civil War when it looked like the country would never come back together again. And he was so discouraged with life. Let me take you back to the 7th century. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, not physically, spiritually, in this world, and death's dark shadow put to flight. You are the merchandise. Let's pray. Almighty God, did you ever put meat in the woodshed this week? Thank you. Taking me down avenues with the Magi that just open my mind to the great work you have done in directing all things together towards your plan. Thank you as we think of Christmas. The marvelous thing you did, not just in bringing Jesus, what a miracle, from heaven to earth, but getting the Magi there helping them connect the dots, protecting them, speaking to them. For you had a great future in mind, not just for Jesus, but for his entire kingdom. Those of us who find ourselves in church today, those of us who share a faith in this Jesus Christ, he is our bright and morning star. He is coming. And the sun of righteousness will rise. And for that, we have certain hope. And thank you in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen.